and welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the pop culture core. We are here live still at uh, the Playful Learning Conference, tucked away in our lovely, cosy little sunlit um, kind of semi-conservatory thing uh, in the corner of the conference. It's very nice. I've got the windows open. Um, it's very pleasant. I'm Mike, uh, imposter syndrome incarnate, man with whole table full of microphones. And joining me, we have... I'm Mark Childs. I'm the co-host. I thought it was a sidekick, but apparently I'm the co-host. So that's uh, an elevation. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have called myself... My co-host at the beginning, shouldn't I? Because otherwise it's the host and the co-host and that feels secondary. <laughs> oh, well. I'm just happy to be here, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> at last, late. And joining us we have... Uh, hi, I'm Dr Laura Mitchell. I'm a lecturer in management at the University of York. Um, I do a lot of stuff on ethics and business ethics and I'm a long time LARPer. Um, so I'm a big fan of all kinds of games and especially games that get people up, engaged, moving around, doing things with narrative. What brings you to Playful Learning? So I'm trying to find ways to incorporate games in business ethics teaching at the moment. So I've come to Playful Learning after looking at the conference for several years, very enthusiastically from a distance in a slightly covert, oh, they're too cool for me kind of way. Um, and I thought that I would just come along and see what I could learn um, so I can take it away, build some more games, do some more wacky stuff and get my students learning. This is my first year as well, and I've, I've also found people intimidatingly cool. Um, but you knew that I used to come to this uh, regularly, and I'm neither of those things. So Mark, Mark's being very down on himself. He's actually blisteringly cool. Um, <laughs> he came into this, pod, uh, to this conference uh, in an open-top sports car with some shades <laughs> and the wind in his hair. And he's wearing a T-shirt with flowers on it. He is. Oh, yeah, that's true, which, which I got bought for me. We could have coordinated. I was wearing one yesterday. Oh, oh well. Um, so... We actually, we talked about LARPing a bit last night, but could you just tell me perhaps about a game or maybe even a type of game that you're very passionate about? And it could be a video game, board game. Um, so one of the things that uh, I've been involved in playing with like friends and, and family and all kinds of strange people for quite some time um, is actually any kind of like social deduction game. Um, big, long-term fan of werewolf um, so I will play werewolf with friends, strangers, uh, people at conferences, uh, just like anybody I can grab off the street. Um, and because I'm a bit of a control freak, it's a bit like being a lecturer. I like to be the narrator, sort of like giving a nice kind of storyline to everything that's happening with the werewolves and the villagers as they try to divine who's out to get each other. So what is it about werewolf that really attracts you to it? Although I, I say those social deductive games, I'm thinking of a whole list of Coup, Secret Hitler, Resistance. I love all of them. I, just any and all of them. Um, although Secret Hitler has sort of become less popular in recent months, I've discovered among my friends group. Um, I think people feel it's a bit politically insensitive um, in the current moment. But um, yeah, so what do I like about those kind of games? Um, I like the way that it forces people to take on different roles. In, uh, in the game in a way that some games, you know, you can always play them in your preferred style. Whereas something like Werewolf, you know, you don't know if you're going to be a villager or a werewolf or a seer with special powers until the cards are dealt out. Um, I also love the fact that you can play it just very straight or you can play it as a really entertaining, sociable storytelling game um, where, you, you know, you can... I've 
played this with friends where they've decided, right, I'm going to play werewolf and we're all going to be based in Somerset. So everyone has to do a bad Somerset accent. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> so um, there's all these kind of different dynamics and ways to play. But the other thing I like about it is that sort of under the hood, it's very much a game that is about um, not having full information and having to take decisions on the basis of justifications that are never going to be completely rational. Yeah. So you get people together and you often in, you know, learning, we do this, we get students in a classroom, we say, right, so here's some information about a case study. What would you have done in this scenario? What decision would you have made if you were in HR and faced with this problem? If you were in like the senior management team and had been faced with this like sudden breach of confidentiality and you were going to have to do a press conference about what had happened, right? So we're putting students in those situations all the time. We're saying act with incomplete information. And that's a really important thing for them to learn how to do, especially in business and management, because we can never, ever, despite all of our attempts as researchers and scholars and so on, can never, ever have full information about the world in which to make a decision. I mean, you can try, you end up in analysis paralysis, don't you, right? You're just staring, going, and I don't have an answer. How many people do like vanilla ice cream? I've not ordered enough for my party. But, you know, so you have to recognize that sometimes you have to go off a feeling, you have to go off um, a sort of a rule of thumb, you have to go off prior experience, the thing with Werewolf is because you play it in multiple rounds, you very rarely just sit down and play one game of Werewolf and then stop, right? Because everybody wants to try being in a different role. So the next time you play it, you go, ah, well, Mark's always really quiet. Last time he was really quiet and he was a werewolf. So if he's being really quiet this time, maybe that's a cue that I should be paying attention to. It's not reliable information, but it's a new source of information that I'm now thinking about. And you see, I find that re- I always find that really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about unspoken cues of communication mm. since the start of the pandemic and the move to Teams, and you know, a lot of kind of you know people with their webcams off and things like that. And I know you said that the information is incomplete, but at the same time, we are kind of programmed to pick up on little things like that. And it's when Mark, who's normally very effervescent, is suddenly very quiet, and you're like. That's interesting. Mark's not normally very quiet. I wonder why Mark's Mark's fine in this situation, particularly when we've got the traitor card has been pulled. <laughs> interesting. Uh, and you're, you know, it's it's those um, those little social ticks and cues yeah. that you sort of you, you pick up, uh, and you miss. I find that very. I find that desperately interesting. I see. Now you're listing up all the things that I really don't like about playing werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oops. Yeah, all kicking the mic stand. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I have a, a, a niece who's a game player and she really loves the social engagement games. And it's like, Ayla, no, please, can we do something else? Because it's like the whole role playing and the whole trying to suss things out. And the, uh, yeah, and it's, oh, no, it's it's just a bit, it's not my bag, really. But I can see why it is for the people that really like it. So, Mark, are you more comfortable if you have very set rules and you know what the rules are before you go into the situation. Yeah, yeah. So I find this is uh, just uh, to bring in a little bit about the LARP briefly. Um, I know a lot of people, they like fantasy games. They like things like Warhammer. Mm-hmm. They like tabletop games. They're really nerdy. They're into all this kind of stuff. But when you say, do you want to? 
come camping and dress up as an orc, they just go, no, under no circumstances, yeah. never. I could never put myself in that weird, unknowable situation. I wouldn't know how to perform and improv. I would ruin it. It's it's the whole improv thing, I think, is the thing that I I did a secret cinema thing, uh, the uh, Empire Strikes Back secret cinema, which I, was the most fantastic evening of my entire life, really. Um, <laughs> wow. I, 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 apart from the day I got married, I have to say that. <laughs> it's not that Anna would ever listen to the podcast, but just in case. Um, and um, there was a live action bit where you're going around Tatooine and you're in Mossa and you're in the moisture farm, and there's somebody cosplaying um, Owen and Lars. Um, you know, looks art and uncle. And this guy's talking to me about blue milk, and I'm going, "This is the one thing I know more about than the, than the actual world. I know more about Star Wars and Tatooine than I know about you know living in the real world." And I still have nothing to say to this person because I just, it was that whole idea of getting into a role and then acting that out and all that was just, yeah, it was really, I just found that really tricky. So I think, yeah, that's perhaps where it's coming from is that, and the LARPing thing, I like, do like the idea of dressing up, but the idea of having to inhabit a role and then act according to that role. I think it's really interesting. So... Again, bearing in mind, a lot of the time in teaching, we're putting students in this situation. Mm. We're saying, okay, you're used to a relatively passive scenario in a classroom or somewhere where you know the rules. You've come to university, we've changed the rules, right? You don't know it. Mm. Or even worse, if you're teaching fellow staff, right? They know the rules. They also know how far they can get away with breaking them because they don't want to be obedient and help you out in the classroom. They want to cause trouble, right? Um but coming back to this, the demands of improvisation, mm-hmm. when you are put in this situation and you have that moment of, uh, of tension, of the kind of fight or flight response, a little bit of adrenaline happens, um, and you go, don't know what to do, so I'm going to do nothing, I'm going to freeze, right? Mm-hmm. Um, through practice, through preparing, you learn to just go, okay, I know exactly what I'm doing here. Um, I'm going to be me with this one minor difference. Um, I used to know somebody who played a character in a live-action role-play sort of story world, and what he would do is he would go, well, you know what? In my real life, I'm a vegan. I made a moral decision because I love animals, I have pets, I think they're brilliant, the world is full of life. I don't want to take life for my life. So I'm going to be vegan. And what he decided to do to play this like fantastical, strange, fairy-like creature was he said, I thought if I go back to that decision in my childhood and I go, well, what if I decided to eat my pet? (laughs) Like, What if I was faced with that moral sort of quandary and I just made the opposite choice? And apart from that one thing, I'd be the same person. Mm -hmm. But... I would just see every resource as possibly consumable. Ah. So it it means you don't have to be a different, completely different person mm. or obey a completely different set of rules. You just take your known world and you tweak it slightly. Yeah, it's the projective identity. I think that's what G called it. So it's the idea that you would take an aspect. It's that you were putting yourself into a different world because it's a game world. But and it's so it's not in, it's not like you're entirely creating a different identity. It's that you are you are projecting a version of yourself that would exist in that world, basically. So it's a way of exploring alternative forms of who you are, but specifically to obey the rules of this game world. 
And I th- that's, that sounds like what you're talking about, really, your projective identity. Yeah. And you see the same people using the same name across different platforms because this single projective identity is something that they keep on returning to because that works for them and they just tweak it in a different way because within this space it has to be like this and it could be a vampire in this one and an elf in this one. But at the core, it's similar to who they are. It's just they've adapted it for that specific different environment, ludic space. Is that what's going on, you reckon? I mean, I wouldn't sort of presume to comment on psychologically what's happening <laughs> with, uh, with people and especially my students. Um, but I think that, you know, taking on roles, trying out different roles, playing with roles is something mm. that we do in everyday life and we do get better at as we get more experience. Okay, so thinking then about, I mean, you've described how um, what you see in social deduction games and, and LARPing is reflected in, you know, the classroom environment. Has your own play within those spaces influenced your practice oh yes absolutely um so i um i don't know if you've come across the term garfinkling before um so garfinkling is um it's normally used to describe a research methodology it's taken from harold garfinkel who's sometimes referred to as the father of ethnomethodology and he used to ask his students Um, Right. See, when you go home for the weekend or for spring break or anything, don't act like you are a child going home and with all of the roles that you would expect. Act like you're a visitor checking into a hotel and see what happens in response to you putting on that role, because you will learn more about the normal expectations of these processes by breaching them, by pretending to be something else. Um, And I've done this in the classroom with students. So students have lots of expectations about um, what sort of roles they have in the classroom and what sort of roles you should have in the classroom. I taught a class about uh, professional behaviour. And in that class on professional behavior, um, you know, we were trying to encourage students to develop skills of how to present themselves in um, uh, sort of interview situations and when going for jobs or applying for internships, this kind of thing. Um, And employers tell us, oh, we want to be sure that these candidates can behave in a professional manner, which usually means you want to make sure that they turn up clean, washed, wearing suitable clothing on time, right? So I thought, well, let's flip this. We often tell students in this class how much first impressions count. So the first class, they don't know what I look like. They've not met me yet. They don't know who's going to stand at the front and teach the lecture. And I'm co-organizing this class with someone from careers, lovely lady. So I'm going to tell her, look, Karen, I want you to come in. You start the class You, like, launch everything, do your first part of the session, 10 minutes. After 11 and a half to 15 minutes, whenever you're finishing up this particular slide, I'm going to come over from the back of the class and I'm going to take over. And so I basically came to the class. I hung out outside the room with the students. I didn't go in until they went in. I went in towards the end. I had like a satchel bag. I had like a grotty hat on and like a big hoodie. And I like, I basically grunged myself up costume wise. (laughs) Um, And then when I walked to the front of the class, you could see the students who were sort of turning their heads, looking to each other, going like, 
what what is this person? <laughs> I mean, they, they'd obviously clocked I was a weirdo because I was too old to be a student, but like they'd, they'd sort of be like, who is this like crazy homeless crank person that suddenly appeared from the back of our class? Why have they come to the front? So I took my grungy hoodie off and my hat off and I like introduced myself and I said, you know, hi, I'm Dr. Laura Mitchell. We're going to run this class and we're going to talk about first impressions and professionalism. <laughs> so how many of you noticed me sitting at the back of the class? You know, and so this was my attempt to engage in a little bit of Garfinkling mm-hmm. um, and get them to sort of think, okay, when we first meet people, we don't even sort of like sit down and make notes about them. But we just see them from the corner of our eye and we make sort of judgments and expectations about their behavior and what sort of person they are. We categorize people. And we do that to ourselves. Who am I going to be today? Am I somebody who needs to wear a shirt with a collar today? Am I somebody who can get away with wearing a nice relaxed shirt with some flowers on it? (laughs) You know, am I in my cool alter ego or am I in my like suited and booted professional persona? And those are just versions of ourselves but they are versions that portray very important things to other people. Mark and I absolutely have those versions of ourselves, by the way. I, I don't. I just, I go... Yeah, but the podcast is like, we're, we're here in waistcoats. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yes, sorry. Yeah, okay. Good to know. Yes. And bowler hats. Yes, yes. Well, somebody mentioned top hats earlier, so I'm, yeah. I went out to get a top hat, so now I'm in the top hat. <laughs> oh, sorry, we've, we've, we've digressed. So, um, <laughs> so, okay, so they're thinking about how you've pulled... You know, this, you know. How you've pulled... Michael, that's dot, not the dot, sort of question to dot, ask on a dot, second day. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> second day of the conference. Oh, goodness gracious Theory me. me. Oh. First impressions, Michael. <laughs> Can you not be like a day later, Mark? Um, <laughs> so thinking about um, how you've pulled your... Um, oh, sake, Mark. oh, God, thank you. Thank you so much. I think Mike would like to say something about drawing together themes. <clears throat> yes. How you've actually applied a lot of the themes that you've experienced in your gaming into your practice. and Yeah, that, what he said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. if you had one snappy pro tip you could give to your fellow educators mm. so that they too could enjoy the benefits of your learned wisdom, what would it be? I think it would probably be do not be afraid to experiment with showing your students about something that you do that is not your professional self if you think you, that they can learn from it. There you have it. Thank you so very, very much for joining us. Where can people find you online? Um, well, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is uh, at Astret on Twitter. Um, or they can get in touch with me, email laura.mitchell at uh, york.ac.uk. I do have a website, but I don't uh, update it very much, but it is www.drlauramitchell.com if you want to check it out. That's very much the theme of the conference, by the way, is I have a website, but I don't have time to update it because I work. <laughs> or I've got a Twitter handle and I can't remember quite what it is. Yeah, that's another one, actually. <laughs> that one always confused me. Anyway, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, this is Mike, Pedagogzilla Podcast at Playful Learning, signing off. Bye-bye now. Bye. Cheerio. Cheerio.